the Ingenuity Show has the weirdest style. The Ingenuity Show hopes you stay a while. Come with these three nerdy engineers. What you will find might linger in the cochlea of your ears. Oh, with every nerdcast, there is something new. If you are listening, then this show's for you. You may think the premise of this show sounds so absurd. Well, you're, you're the, the one listening. Who's the nerd? You know, so you can't just say bizarre. You never get a moment for free. Show me something fun on your guitar. Something with an A. Hello, welcome to the Ingenuity Show. I'm Mr. Pold. I'm St. Jimmy. And our third is oh. not here yet. <laughs> yep, he's going to join us in a little bit. In a little while. Our fake sponsor this week is Kentucky Bride Chicken, the best catering for your Southern-style wedding. <laughs> She's finger... No, okay. Whoa. <laughs> that might be going a little too far. Yeah. It's in the copy, but you know, I have some <laughs> leeway to. Um, yeah. So, so my daughter's been watching Shira. There's a. It's on Netflix. It looks fairly modern. Oh, it's not the original. It's not the original. But I was wondering, is Shira and Mumra related? <laughs> I think they are. It's like her great uncle or something. No, they're like first cousins, twice removed. Oh. Yeah, that I can see that. <laughs> the raw family. Yeah. They are ever living. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I saw Mr. Pold on Monday. Or yeah, sure. I saw you yesterday. I saw <laughs> D Viddy on Monday. I was gonna say, wow, you saw me? <laughs> Did I see you? <laughs> Oh, you saw D-Video. What's he up to? Uh, still working nights, but we uh, met for our weekly disc golf game. So instead of a desk, does he have a coffin? Yes. He yep. He sleeps in a coffin. And writes his paperwork. And... Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's nice to see him. He's uh, still beating me at disc golf, but I'm getting better. Oh, yeah? he's He beats you at disc golf? Oh, yeah. I thought you were pretty good. Uh, so did I, but not as good as he is. He See, like... he watches YouTube videos and gets better, and I just slow, more slowly get better by practicing. Oh. Well, I did watch a couple of videos a few weeks ago. but Did it help? I think so. It takes a little while to get used to new throwing motions. And yeah. so at first it kind of didn't help. It hurt. But now that I've been doing it more, I think it's helping. Well, what videos are you watching? Are you watching the one where the guy like throws it 400 yards and it lands right in the basket? No, it's like, oh. <laughs> here's how to stand and throw a disc. 
You're like, oh, I've been doing it wrong this whole time. I've been sitting. I was. Oh, no, I was. <laughs> I, yeah, there's a certain way when you're throwing backhand, you basically point your hips and shoulders towards where you want to go, which I was your, not doing. Your head, shoulders, knees and toes. Yep. And then you kind of pull the disc close across your chest to throw it. And then I watched one on the forehand throw, which I've been getting better at. Oh, dang. I've been doing the forehead throw. That's mm, the problem. There's your problem. <laughs> yeah. So it's fun. I cut four strokes off my okay. number from last week. So that was good. Or last time we did it. I don't remember if we did, it was last week or two weeks ago. But yeah. So I took a quick trip down to California and back. Oh. So um, it was a long drive both How's ways. How's California doing these days? You know, most of California, especially the part I drove through, is pretty, well, maybe half of it that I drove through is pretty boring. Mm. Um, especially when you get to the Central Valley type area. Because you just have flat just flat, you know, between the mountains that you can see in the distance. Mm. And then they have all kinds of, a lot of like trees, like that grow nuts or fruit or something. Like orchards? Yeah. Just like there's one spot where it's little tiny trees for as far as you can see almost. Mm. Well, they are a big uh, produce producing state. Yeah. Well, I looked it up and they grow a lot of, um, like hazelnuts and pistachios, and what were some of the other ones I saw? Like walnuts I know they've, and they almonds. Make a lot of almonds, yeah. Lots of almond trees. I'm sure. I'm pretty sure some of the trees had apples on them. Mm. They had like these little red shapes. I'm like, I wonder if those are apples. <laughs> so, oh, and then there's this one. This one spot that we could smell before we got there, and this was cows, just as far as I could see all the way to the horizon. Wow, Maybe not that far, but there was Vacaville. Oh uh, no, it wasn't. Uh, I'm trying to think of where that was. It wasn't Vacaville. We didn't go through there, but mm. yeah. And then one of the nights we had the fire alarm in the hotel go off at 3 oh, no. <laughs> that was I was <laughs> rude dead awakening. asleep yeah I was dead asleep and the alarm goes off I'm like oh man and so we're just like this is for real because we didn't smell smoke or anything and we looked out and at first we didn't see anybody outside and we're just like this is super loud you know mm. and we saw people start going outside well oh, I guess we better go outside so we so I grabbed my jacket even though I didn't need it because it was so warm down there mm-hmm. and uh, grabbed my phone and my phone charger <laughs> and left <laughs> and uh, we got down there and um, wife realized that she left her phone in the room and I was like oh man I should have grabbed my uh, my uh, french toast grill because <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> we were talking about you know 
things that are important to have that you wouldn't want to lose in a fire. And <laughs> that's what I, my mind went to. Which brings me to another topic. We brought my French toast grill with us. Oh, yeah. Griddle with us. And then uh, brought a cooler with like eggs and milk. We were <laughs> staying with staying in the hotels with little refrigerators each night. So we just would freeze water bottles and mm-hmm. then put that in the cooler to keep it cold. And then at in the evening, we just stick the stuff in the refrigerator. So I made French toast. Wow, you are breakfast. dedicated to French toast. It was awesome. I mm-hmm. definitely would do it again. Um, especially Unfortunately, since... it was lost in the fire. No, <laughs> no, there. It ended up not being a fire. Uh, we <laughs> think we were out there like ten minutes. And the fire truck came and they shut off the alarm and said it was safe to go back in. So some kind of false alarm, but. Yeah, but hotels these days, you're lucky to get any kind of breakfast. Even if it says continental breakfast, it's usually just like piddly stuff that yeah, you, cereal you don't want to eat. Bagels. Yeah, you, I mean, you'd be lucky to get cereal even. Oh. Like individually packaged waffles and arrows. Yeah. So we Bring were your able own. To eat in style. Jaffle. Yeah, because we'd wake up, I'd start the griddle up and make the French toast, and then we'd eat it, and by the time we got everything packed up, the griddle was cooled down enough that I could stick it back in its box, and... (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's innovation. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, the drive... um, like through Oregon and Northern California, there's a lot of curvy roads and stuff and trees and it's scenic. So, but I do love my, uh, my smart, um, cruise control. Oh (laughs) yeah. It maintains the distance. Yeah, but it's pretty nice because you don't really have to touch the pedals hardly at all. No, that's good. Because it'll Your just it'll slow sound down. Just changed. Did it? What does it sound like now? I don't know. It sounds a little different. Hmm. I don't know. Okay. It's it's fine. It's just. Does it sound like the heater turned on? Uh, I don't know. You just sound a little more. Uh, far away? I don't know. Hmm, let me just check my mic here. Oh, maybe that's... Does it sound okay now? Yeah. Okay. Maybe it was just because your mic moved. Maybe. I didn't notice it moved. It's connected to my earphones. I don't know. So, eh, whatever. Um, yeah. I don't know what I was talking about, but... Jeff, there was... There was one. So there was one point we were just outside Sacramento and traffic was, you know, a little bit heavier than it was in the desolate part. I mean, I guess it's not desolate, but, you know, the farmland part. Rural. (laughs) Yeah, less rural. But I see these headlights like just 
screaming up on me, and I'm already going like seven or eight over the speed limit. Mm-hmm. And just out of nowhere, these two cars just went screaming by, just weaving in and out of traffic. They had to have been going at least 100 miles an hour. Wow. <laughs> it was just like, holy smokes. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> There's some crazy drivers down in California. Yeah. So. Well, I was hoping Master Zed would be here by now. Well, he's he'll jump on. I don't. He didn't really indicate how long, but okay. I'm just wondering if because my uh, nerd culture this week is going to be a pre-recorded. Mm-hmm. So if he jumps well, on in the middle of that, it, it might, might be weird. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you have another banter to talk about. I do. Um, I could come up with something. Well, and we could always do technology first. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Um, so for the last couple months, I've been getting these emails that are in Italian, and usually I just delete them as soon as I see them, mm-hmm. and I just figure it's junk mail for you know. Well, the, the other day I was like looking at it a little bit more closely and I was like, this doesn't look like junk mail. This looks like it's actually, you know, they they think they're communicating with somebody here. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to Google translate and I typed in, I think you have the wrong email address. I'm American. I don't even speak Italian. And then translated into Italian and then responded to their email with that. Well, a couple days later, I got another email from a different Italian looking name and so I pulled the email up and I decided I'd actually like translate some of what the email said like the first couple paragraphs I threw them into Google Translate and mm-hmm. it was talking about I guess it was addressed to some student or something that had been selected to participate in some kind of race Oh no! and there was like a registration deadline and all this stuff and it was for a couple days after that and I'm like oh wow these people yeah, <laughs> whoever they're trying to get a hold of is going to get shafted, you know? Yeah. And a little bit further on, it showed the guy's name and my email address. Now, the guy's name was, he had the first, same first name, and the last name, the first, so the first five letters of my last name were very, very similar to the first five letters of his last name. Mm. And so... I also responded to that person telling them they got the wrong person, you know, whatever. Um, and explaining that how the email is mine, but it's the guy they're trying to reach must have a different email address or whatever. So I, you know, Google translated that, sent that back. And then mm-hmm. I just on a hunch, I forwarded it to um, an email address that was like one digit off of mine that would match how his name was spelled. <laughs> mm-hmm. And just said, this might be yours, in, in Italian, and sent it on. <laughs> so I did get a response back, and they were like, oh, we're sorry, we sent it to the wrong email. Thank you for letting us know. And so. <laughs> that's, that's like when this uh, temp agency kept calling and texting my phone. Yeah. And uh, I was just ignoring it until the guy finally sent a voicemail, and he sounded pretty frustrated. He was like, 
He's <laughs> like, hey, I've got this job. If you want it, you need to reply to me. And so I finally texted back or something saying like, hey, you have the wrong phone number here. I, you know, I'm not the guy that you're looking for. He was like, oh, sorry, you know, and whatever. And <laughs> then like it was then I hear from him. And then like two or three weeks later, I got another text or something from him. And I was just like, OK, I'm just ignoring that. <laughs> it went away. So my plan of ignoring things till they go away finally worked <laughs> in the end. Oh, man. Yeah, I got I had a high school student text me thinking I was someone else one time and I texted back telling me I had the wrong person and he's like, whatever, I know it's you I, I sit next to you in such and such class <laughs> and I'm just like, no, I'm seriously. a 45 year old man it's not me you're looking for here's I'm a picture of me with my shirt off you <laughs> that's how you get teenagers to stop texting you I think that's how you get arrested oh, oh it works with my kids <laughs> Oh, oh, did it? They don't text no. you anymore? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just uh, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. Funny, funny. Okay, do we want to go on to tech nerdigy? Yes, let's do tech nerdigy. Okay, so one of the things that's difficult when you're trying to convince people to, you know, cut down on carbon emissions is the fact that China accounts for like a quarter of the world's carbon dioxide output into the atmosphere. And China doesn't really do anything that anybody else wants them to oh there's master said hello hey we just started technology since we didn't want you to come in in the middle of nerdiculture since it's pre-recorded oh we're gonna listen to it but i was just getting started actually with technology talking about carbon Ooh, i like carbon i'm carbon based <laughs> Well, this is specifically about carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere. Like me breathing and exhaling. Isn't ideal. I know. Quit it. Quit exhaling. It's not ideal. It's fine to <laughs> inhale. <laughs> well, so China has this huge industry and it's growing. And they're putting out a quarter of the world's carbon dioxide. Um, and there's nothing anybody can force them to do about it. Well, just the earlier this month, China's leader announced that by 2030, they will start decreasing their yearly carbon output, and that by 2060, the entire country will be carbon neutral, hmm. which is a big deal, and here's some reasons why. Um, China getting into the renewable energy market is going to drive innovation and 
price reductions for things. So they started um, investing in solar technology and solar panel prices dropped 80%. Huh. So that's how big of a, an impact they can have on the market for things like that. So and that's because the- that's because they started, you know, developing new ways to manufacture them and just them purchasing large quantities of it made more companies interested in ma- in making them and competition drives prices down. Um, so by them doing this, it doesn't only lower prices for them, it lowers prices for everybody in the world, which leads other countries to reduce their carbon output. Um, and China right now is the world's largest manufacturer and installer of solar panels. Um, they are going to cut their coal use. So they are like the biggest user of coal in the world also. And they use it just to generate electricity for the most part. And between 2025 and 2060, they're going to reduce their coal energy generation by 96%. Wow. So if you own stock in coal, it might be a good time to sell. (laughs) So what um, prompted them to start caring about carbon output? (laughs) Well, this article doesn't really say. Um, Um, It's they were already predicted to reach their carbon peak before 2030. So that part of the pledge doesn't necessarily... Um, amount to much other than just being politically helpful. Yeah. Um, it they may just see the writing on the wall where um, so something recently happened where some countries like in the European Union and also the U.S. have been talking about import taxes on items that come from countries that are carbon producers so that would include china so in order to compete in the market more they may be trying to head off these taxes by cutting their carbon emissions so that their products are still you know competitive in the marketplace yeah um they're planning to increase their wind power by like over 300% in that time. Their solar is going to go up by like almost 600%. And they're also going to invest in new nuclear plants, which is cool. Um, They're also working on reducing the amount of carbon it takes to produce steel, aluminum, and concrete. Because concrete... Mm -hmm produces a lot of carbon that goes in the atmosphere. So the reason that China can make this big of a change is because they're still building a lot of their industry up. 
So that's the time when you want to make these changes. It's harder for established industrial nations like the U.S. to go and retrofit their industries for less carbon. It's like we have a lot of our manufacturing plants and power plants are pretty old. And so it's costs a lot and there's not much incentive for companies to to retrofit for reducing their carbon footprint but when you have a government like china has and you're building new stuff all the time you can implement this a lot more easily so well yeah because they've got a totalitarian government that can yeah so they can just force mandate things it happens (laughs) yeah yeah, and I think it said they already have like over half the world's electric vehicles and they're producing a lot of electric vehicles, so that's going to bring the prices down around the world. So it's, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the U.S. and you know other places around the world. The next big one to go after would probably be India. Yeah. They're developing, and they have a huge population also. So if uh, be cool to see them follow suit. I don't think they have a totalitarian government, though, so it might be a little harder to, you know, to force their industries to to do stuff like this. You know, the government can promise something, but unless they have a way to get industry to, you know do what they want it's a little tough yeah you gotta use incentives and yep things that way which you know incentives work yeah and disincentives also work (laughs) yeah yeah it's just a factor of managing your economy versus environmental goals so yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And that's technology. All right. I thought we'd do a little bit something different this week since it's October and Halloween's coming up. Um, I wanted to share a story, short story that I wrote um, several years ago that's kind of uh, got a spooky theme to it. So I recorded audio for it uh, several years ago as well. Um, but I was, it's about 20 minutes long, so I was thinking we could listen to it on the show and discuss it afterwards. All right. All right, so let me get my share screen thing going so you can hear the audio. And we'll get it started. You guys ready? Yeah. <laughs> All right, here it goes. 
the bus runs on time. Whoa, what was that? <laughs> Stephen Clapham was always on time. He pulled into the bus depot parking lot at exactly 4.55 in the morning. There was a slight chill in the darker-than-usual air as he pulled into his spot. It was his spot. He had picked it because it saw the least amount of direct sunlight throughout the day. Besides, at this time of the morning, with only the really early route driver's cars present, he pretty much had his pick in the dirt lot. Whistling, he got out of his compact domestic and walked briskly to the pit stop. He was comfortable in the short-sleeved driver uniform. It had been hot recently, and the cool air felt refreshing on his arms. The pale fluorescent lights of the pit stop greeted him as he opened the door and entered. The pit stop, as he wittily referred to it, was the modest affair with the refrigerator, coffee, and juice machine, sink, and several tables covered with old issues of Reader's Digest and hunting magazines. The chairs were as varied and worn in as the magazines were, haphazardly situated around the tables. Stephen looked at his wristwatch and placed his brown bag lunch in the refrigerator, second shelf, left side. The time book consisted of a three-ring binder stuffed with a timesheet for each employee. The clear pocket cover, brown and cracked along the corners, was empty. A dingy white string was taped to the spine of the book on one end and tied to a ring fastened to the faux wood-paneled wall on the other. Another string taped to the other end of the book spine was attached to a blue pen that was missing the lid. It was advantageous to write your time into the book with it pressed up against the wall. The string was just long enough and just short enough to make any other attempt a clinic on balance. Stephen wrote the time, 5 o'clock, neatly below the existing column of 5 o'clock and closed the book. He skipped the coffee machine and went straight for the juice. Stephen considered himself a morning person and didn't feel he needed any artificial stimulants to wake him up. He downed the contents of the paper cup in one long draw and looked at his wristwatch again. Time to get down to business. He grabbed the keys from the keyboard on his way out the door. His was third in the long line of buses parked on the eastern edge of the lot, number 44. He did a thorough inspection of the exterior of the bus. The dry heat wave of the preceding week had made the dirt lot dusty, and it showed. Stephen looked at his wristwatch and decided that he would have time to at least spray down the bus, if not do a quick wash. Inside the bus, he did a methodical check under and around each seat, despite the fact that he had done the same at the end of his shift the previous day. The broom came out next. It was surprising how much dirt and dust he could collect no matter how many times he swept up, but he liked to have a clean bus. Releasing the hood mechanism, he did a quick engine inspection and check of the fluids. No loose hoses or cables, and everything topped off just as expected. By the time he had driven the bus over to the diesel pumps and wash station, he could tell that it was going to be a foggy morning. That was great as far as it being a break in the weather, but it added a little more stress to his job. Fog in the morning slowed down the traffic a bit. The bigger danger was in driver's perception. Although cars would have no problem seeing him, they often assumed that the bus could see them. Often the bus was seen as an obstacle to get around. The thought of cars zipping around him in low visibility always made him a little nervous. 
glancing at his watch again, he pulled the trip report out of the cubby below the dash and began filling out the maintenance portion and prepping the schedule portion. He automatically flipped through the route maps and stop times to make sure the information was fresh in his mind. Finally, he thumbed through the transfer slips, plenty left. After turning the key and waiting for the glow plugs a moment, he fired up the engine and started his route. The first stop was at Union and 6th, only a couple blocks from the bus depot. He could see Mrs. Hutchinson waiting at the stop, bundled up against the chill morning. She was an older woman with white hair sticking out around the fringes of her knit hat. Her perpetual smile matched her upbeat ambling that featured a cane always hovering several inches above the ground. The cane swung with her step, finding airy purchase on an invisible layer that covered the ground in front of her. She hung the cane on her right wrist in order to use both hands to pull herself up the bus steps. Stephen matched her welcoming smile with one of his own as she fished her discount fare card out of her handbag and waved it under the card scanner. He waited until she had situated herself at the front of the bus and then started on towards the next stop. The fog hadn't quite set in yet, but he knew as his route took him closer to the river, that would change. He turned off of Union on the 10th and headed east. In the slowly brightening morning, he could see the next fare waiting at the corner of 10th and Locust. Stephen didn't know this man's name, but he was a regular. The man boarding his bus wore camo pants and a light blue sleeveless work shirt despite the slight bite to the air. The barbed wire tattoo wrapped around his left bicep and crew cut rounded out his visage of toughness. Stephen pressed on, turning the wide corner that sent him down the hill towards the Potsdam Creek Bridge. There were two men standing at the end of the cul-de-sac just before the bridge. He could see the fog bank just beyond them. It stood there like a wall obscuring the bridge. In fact, he had never seen such a uniform fog bank in all his life. It was as if the two young men were standing before a backdrop of blank white canvas. They seemed oblivious to the spectral wall looming behind them as they chattered amiably together. He stopped the bus a mere ten feet before the ominous barrier, air currents nipping and swirling through the periphery of the fog. The men climbed up into the bus, absorbed in their morning conversation topic as always. He picked up on the fact that one of the young professionals was named John and the other one was either Tim or Tom. John had pointed features that made Stephen think of an elf from those Lord of the Ring movies. His eyes would dart around almost impatiently while he waited for his companion to finish injecting whatever it was he had to say before he dove back in with his own soliloquy. The other man had darker features and eyes in which the pupils were always outlined with white. On the afternoon route, he often wore sunglasses as if he was aware that his wide-eyed look had a hypnotizing effect on others. The bus shuddered a bit as Stephen drove into the fog bank as if it was hesitant to enter. He glanced at his watch. He was currently running on time, but this fog was sure to have an effect on his schedule. He slowed down accordingly, able to see just five to ten feet in front of the bus. It felt as if he were inching forward across the bridge. Within a quarter mile of the other side of the bridge, he was supposed to turn down Van Alden Boulevard. Stephen watched intently so that he would not overshoot the turn. But when he saw the unmistakable form of the defunct foundry on the right side of the road, he knew that he had. He squinted into the fog at the parking lot in front of the foundry. Something seemed out of place, but he couldn't register what it was. At that moment, the fog cleared a bit, and he was able to see what had caught his attention. 
The foundry had been shut down for he didn't know how many years. It was well before they had built the Van Alden cutoff. He knew that for sure. But the parking lot was full of cars, and it looked as if the dilapidated walls had been freshly whitewashed. He had not long to ruminate before the fog had swallowed them up again. Stephen considered for a moment turning around in the foundry lot, but dismissed it what with all the cars parked there. It would be a risky venture even without the fog. Instead, he started thinking ahead to the next turnoff that he could use to get back on route. Highway 56 was coming up. He could take that to Kitchener Drive and catch the other end of Van Alden. There weren't any regular riders along that stretch in the summer anyway. It would certainly mean much less risk than attempting a turnaround on the road he was on. He pulled up to the stop sign at Highway 56 and peered to the left for oncoming traffic. There was usually none at this time of morning, but he could take no chances. As he started pulling out, he caught the impression of movement to his left and jammed on the brakes. Sorry, folks. He spoke out of habit to the riders as he saw the mid-60s Mustang convertible whip past. The car appeared to be in mint condition, and the young, black leather-clad man driving didn't even acknowledge him. There was something odd about that young man, but he brushed the feeling away. Number 44 to dispatch, he spoke into his radio. Dispatch, do you copy? He waited for a response, but got nothing but static in answer. Something must be wrong with the radio today, he thought. He flipped his flashing yellow lights and his roof-mounted strobe on and attempted the corner again. He considered finding a place to pull over until the fog lifted, but he was convinced that he would still be able to keep his schedule by pressing on. The flashers and strobe would hopefully be enough to make him visible to other motorists. The fog wasn't quite as heavy on the highway, and he found himself increasing his speed slightly to make time. He found Kitchener and turned onto it, checking his watch in the process. He still had a chance to make up his time, especially since he didn't have any early students to drop off at the high school in the summer. The high school should have been off to his left, but he saw fields instead. In fact, the more he looked at his environs, the more he was convinced that he was lost. He realized that he must have mistaken Kitchener for a different road. He prided himself in his knowledge of the town, but he could not for the life of himself figure out where he was. Relying on his acute sense of direction, he took the next right down a residential street and then a left through a neighborhood. All the cars parked on the side of the street were vintage models with tail fins and round headlights. Brick homes lined the street like sentinels with matching gray asphalt shingle roofs and he could almost smell the fresh-cut smell of the lawns laid out immaculately before them. Stephen initially wondered if there was some kind of classic car convention going on in town, but the feeling that something was not quite right eventually pushed itself to the front of his thoughts. He tried shoving the feeling away, rationalizing that he had just stumbled into a part of town he was unfamiliar with because of the fog. He took another left back onto a through-road, glancing up into his mirror at the passengers. Mrs. Hutchinson was sitting amicably in her seat. Buzzcut was dozing, and John and Tom were busy chattering away. None of them seemed the least bit concerned about the route Stephen had been taking them on. The fog had thickened up again so that he could only see the road five feet in front of him. He slowed down again out of instinct, but his mind was so occupied with his predicament that he didn't slow down as much as he might have in other circumstances. He discovered he was driving too fast for the conditions when the front of the bus dropped suddenly. The bus shuddered as the back end bucked up and then down. The pavement had run out and he found himself on a dirt road. 
Stephen eased down on the brakes and brought the bus to a stop. He looked up into the mirror again at his passengers and saw that he had gotten their attention for a moment. Sorry about the bumpy ride, folks. We'll be on our way soon. They collectively accepted this statement and went back to their previous activities. Not much they could do about the situation. None of them had any desire to exit the bus in the thick fog when they hadn't gotten to their destination yet. The road had gotten narrow enough to completely quash any expectations Stephen had had to turn the bus around. He figured the main road must have turned sharply and that he had driven them into some private driveway. The only solution he could think of was to get back on the road and drive more carefully. He put the bus into reverse and started backing up. The sound of the warning beeps echoed oddly through the fog. He expected to feel the bump of pavement maybe about a hundred feet behind him. What he didn't want to feel was a collision with some fog-blind driver making the same mistake he had. He hoped that the obnoxious beeping of his bus would be enough to warn off any vehicles that approached. 100 feet, 200 feet, 300 feet. The bus tires never found purchase with the paved road. It wasn't there. Stephen considered himself a rational man and knew logically that the road had to be there somewhere. However, he was getting nowhere with this current course of action. With each yard that he backed up, the odds of hitting something increased. Defeated, he slowed to a stop and began driving forward again. If he could only find a spot wide enough, a parking lot or turn off somewhere, he could turn around and find his way back to his route. He pressed on into the fog, knowing that eventually it would burn off and he could get himself straightened out. The static when he tried the radio again only served to emphasize that he was alone. This was a jam he would have to get himself out of. The fog began thinning, but only enough to reveal large, dark shapes on either side of the road. He couldn't figure out what he was seeing. He felt his eyes being drawn to them, his mind trying to integrate what he was seeing into the reality he was used to. He was enthralled by the transitory denizens of the fog bank surrounding him, waiting like carrion feeders to devour him if he stopped. It took an effort to focus on the road ahead of him. Then he saw her. It was as if the blanket of fog had been lifted up by the corner, allowing him to see into the crease. This was not a part of his route, but something compelled him to stop. Panic welled up in him as he felt his foot release the accelerator and apply the brake. He feared the motley shapes that stalked him through the fog. The primitive part of his mind was telling him things that his rational mind could not comprehend, things they refused to comprehend, but he had no control over the bus as it began grinding to a stop for the waiting woman. She was an oddly shaped thing, hunched-shouldered and standing with a stoop. The flabs of flesh hanging at odd angles under her tank top didn't seem to match the spindly legs visible under the mid-thigh shorts. Her hair was a rusty chestnut color and hung limply around her face. The face. He couldn't make out the face. It was like one of those blind spots that you can't see if you try looking directly at it. The bus finally came to a stop in front of her. He willed his arm not to move, but it acted of its own volition and pulled the door mechanism. She climbed the steps and began inserting coins into the fare slot. The temporary agnosia subsided and he could see her face in profile. He stared despite the terror behind the growing realization that this woman was not human. She dropped her last coin in the slot and turned to face him full on. Her orange eyes had slit pupils like a cat, 
There was no nose, and her lips parted in an impossibly wide smile filled with dozens of pencil-thick teeth. Stephen opened his mouth to scream, but nothing came out. The creature turned and headed toward the back of the bus. His eyes tracked her movements until she had seated herself. He stared in abject horror, barely able to control the trembling of his limbs. Moving from his seat was not an option. He reasoned in a mind that had effectively detached itself from his body that it was probably safer in the bus with one seemingly benign creature than out there with her companions, the shapeless hulks loitering in the fog. His foot, heavy though it felt, slid off of the brake and found itself to the accelerator. Fear acted as a sledge, driving his right foot down hard. The bus, as if acting with an enthusiasm of its own, lurched forward. Stephen could hear the distinctive pop and crumble of the tires tracing their way across the dirt road like a stylus over an old record as he accelerated. Sweat glistened on his temples as he imagined the eyes of the hag boring into the back of his skull. Regardless of how fast he sped up, however, his distance from those eyes remained the same. It wasn't until he could feel himself losing control of the bus that the danger of fishtailing brought him back to some modicum of sanity. He let up on the gas and coasted to a more reasonable speed for the conditions of the road. That is, if he could still classify it as a road. Peering forward to the furthest extents of his fog-shrouded vision, he could no longer make out a discernible road. As soon as he was cognizant of the fact that he was no longer on a road, the bus started bucking. He applied the brakes until the bus seemed to crawl upon the ground. A scritching sound over his left shoulder caught his attention. He whipped his head around in time to see the dark shape of a tree branch scribing down the windows like the claws of a leviathan in the murky depths. Looking ahead again, he could see that there were trees on both sides of the bus and that the passage was growing narrower by the yard. Although he knew what could happen if he continued on, the fear of what definitely would happen if he stopped pushed him forward. It was then that the bus emerged from the fog like a whale breaking the surface of a vertical sea. The low-lying sun was so bright that Stephen involuntarily brought his hand up to shield his eyes. He stopped the bus and put the gear shift into park. He lifted his eyes to the mirror reflexively to check that the passengers were all right and even ventured a look at the deformed woman on the back seat. Purple sun dots in his vision obscured her visage, but he looked away quickly nonetheless. Behind his bus was the wall he had just pushed his way out of, standing there waiting. He blinked his eyelids rapidly, shook his head once to clear it, and began scanning his now visible environment. He found himself parked on the side of a paved road at a bus stop. Beyond the bus shelter and bench was the grocery store, his fourth regular stop of the morning in the summer. He sat dumbstruck, stirring only when he felt a light tap on his leg. Looking down, he saw Mrs. Hutchinson's cane lightly bumping his leg. "'Well, aren't you going to open the door?' she inquired in her signature sweet voice. He nodded woodenly and pulled the door mechanism. While she ambled slowly down the bus steps, Stephen looked up to see the woman from the back making her way toward him. He gasped in panic, but found that his limbs were again immobilized. All he could do was wait for the inevitable to happen." As she approached the yellow line on the floor behind his seat, he looked at her face. What he saw was human. The terror melted off of him in chunks, and he felt his face growing red with shame mingled with relief. She followed Mrs. Hutchinson off the bus, and he closed the door. Stephen Clapham looked at his watch. He was running on time.
spooky music and everything. <laughs> yeah, so what do you guys think? <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it was good. I've read it before. You have? Yeah. yeah it had been quite a, a while since I had read or listened to it. And so I couldn't remember exactly how it ended. But I do. I when I did listen to it again, I did uh, get chills and like goosebumps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, "Ooh, yeah!" I've been listening to some H.P. Lovecraft stories lately, and it kind of has that vibe, where it's just like the point of view is from the one person, and right. you know something's happening that they can't explain and is freaking them out, and you know. And it either ends suddenly or they die or something. <laughs> yeah, I was. I haven't ever read any Lovecraft, but um, I know enough about it to to think that yeah, that, that there's probably some similarities. Um, I think I was kind of going for just uh, just the aspect of horror where you don't really know what exactly is happening. And but just, you're freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, was it all in his imagination or right. what the heck was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember I did a lot of research on um, what, what bus drivers, like, uh, what their routine is and everything. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, our mom actually complimented me on it because she drives bus and she was saying that it was pretty accurate. <laughs> oh, cool. So I was proud of that fact. Um, it was spooky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when did you say you wrote that? I don't remember. <laughs> it's been years. Probably been it's eight been years. a really long time ago. Yeah. He, yeah, Mr. Pold wrote uh, several short stories a while yeah, back. It's on, uh, there's a link to it on my blog. Um, I haven't updated the blog in a couple of years, but it's called <laughs> uh, mindofmrpold.wordpress.com. So, um, yeah, so. Anyway, cool. that's Nerdiculture. Cool. Well, I know we all love animals, mm-hmm. and the hardest part of They're having delicious. animal <laughs> is when they get old or have some, I guess you could have an accident, but when you lose your animals, that's the, yeah. the, the hard part about it. And I, like, personally, I 
had a great dog that passed away four, three years ago. And it took until just within the last eight months or so before I was ready to get another, another pet. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a woman in Iowa was proactive in this regard and she had a cat that, um, you know, said over a long time, she's had a lot of animals, but she had this one cat in particular, Mr. Tufts that <laughs> was, um, she had found just kind of half feral and beat up in the forest on a hike and took him home and, you know, got him back to health and stuff. And he was just a very special cat to her. So she took him down to a place called Thiagen Pets. And they took a tissue sample from Mr. Tufts, put it into deep storage. And uh, a couple years later, Mr. Tufts passed away and Viagen Pets cloned Mr. Tufts. Wow. So they then left him in the woods to grow up for a while. Well, it (laughs) talks about that is that, uh, so they replaced the cells in the nucleus of the cat host cats embryo with the, yeah, the egg, whatever with the tuft DNA or genetic (laughs) material. Um, and then transferred that to a surrogate mother cat, which the woman adopted. Um, and the cat was born and is exactly the same as the cat she had. Well, they said the only difference is that he has more energy which they think it was because he'd had some like respiratory issues from being really sick when they found them in the woods. Mm-hmm. So this cat's a lot healthier. Um, yeah. and is has a little more energy because of that, but otherwise it's identical, identical appearance and, um, you know, the temperament and level of intelligence and everything is the same. <laughs> And strangely, it has the same memories. No. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Well, you wouldn't be able to tell if the cat... It'd be hard to tell if the cat had memories. It eats the same cat food. What? <laughs> how would it know how to... The same litter box. It remembers what cupboard the cat food's in. <gasps> so would you clone a pet if you had a pet that you loved? So that you could just continue to have the same pet over and over. It feels weird to do that. It's like I, you're almost robbing it of its its significance. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, I'll just make another one like you, and I'll love it just as much. <laughs> well, well, I guess, like I had a dog that had just a really awesome temperament mm-hmm. and you know it was just the best dog other dogs I've had since that dog have not had as good a temperament <laughs> which has kind of soured me on 
having pets in general now. <laughs> yeah. That's why I have my Tribble as my pet. Because it doesn't get doesn't too much make trouble. Misses, and I don't have to clean up after it. And uh, <laughs> So I don't know. I guess if I could get a dog exactly the same as the other one I had. I don't know. What That's about thought? cloning, just collecting DNA from all your pets, and then at some point you make the super pet that is... You combine it. <laughs> combine it into the one that's perfect. I want it to look like this, but be this smart and be this playful. <laughs> yeah, like if I could have... I called you if I could remove the <laughs> shedding part from my dog, I would love her more it's called nair <laughs> i still want her to have hair oh i just don't want Wait. it to come okay. off <laughs> oh yeah just make it a sweater <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've had an awesome dog and she was great she was smart and lovable and it'd be nice you know if i ever get a dog again it's like how am i gonna get a dog that awesome so that i'm not disappointed in it but <laughs> well for my you know, it seems like with the current dog that i have i you know she's a good dog in her own respect mm-hmm. so i don't there's not i guess when she barks at stuff i do think like oh why do you have to bark like <laughs> My last dog didn't wouldn't have barked. Yeah, but I I guess my thinking is like, if you had a kid that died, would you clone it and want to have the exact same kid? And it's like it would be, it's almost like a Twilight Zone or a Black Mirror episode. Well, but what if it was like there was be a second chance right if you like if there was an accident and it was your fault you could redeem yourself by not that just brings even more weird emotions into it raise them better and then when they get older than the other one was you could damage them (laughs) mentally that way though because they wouldn't really know your motivations they'd be like man my mom's really really wants me to get good grades and a helicopter parent or you know well hopefully yeah, they goes, want you to get good grades goes back to nurture versus not nature, care. Right? No. well in that case what? it would be both because it's the same parents and the same dna well imagine if you were to clone yourself and raise that clone of yours as your child Ooh. oh <laughs> weird <laughs> oh actually really high expectations happen? for that kid oh I yeah. won't say what it would be a mild spoiler, but um, oh. <laughs> I won't say what show, but I watched a show where a lady cloned her mom. Oh, so her daughter, quote unquote, that she was raising was actually a clone of her mother. Well, Weird. it was yeah. Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. <laughs> It was actually I Love Lucy. That's how that show ended. Oh. Mork and Mindy. Um, okay, so my <laughs> other news article is, have you heard of the car company SSC? Nope. 
know. Well, it's probably because they only make about 100 cars every 15 years Whoa. or so. Talk about non-mass production. Yep, but 100 cars does qualify as a production car. So they made 100 <laughs> of them so that they would qualify to as a U.S. company um, to break Races. their own record of... Um, from 2007 for the fastest production car. Oh. So you've probably heard of the Bugatti Chiron yeah. and yes. what was the Veyron. Yeah. So they had top speeds in the 200 and I think 268 miles an hour and 270 miles an hour or something. Whoa, that's cooking. Um, and so they set those, I think, on a track in Germany that's a giant oval. So they would hit the corn, come out of the corner at, you know, 150 miles an hour and then get up to speed in time to break. Mm-hmm. Well, as you've probably driven through Nevada and there's all these crazy straight highways. Yeah. <laughs> so SSC got a section of uh, Nevada State Highway 160 shut down and did a run in each direction to qualify for high-speed tests. Uh, Their first run was 301.07 miles per hour, and their second run was 331.15 miles an hour. So they now hold the record for the world's fastest production car with a speed of 316.1. 316.1. And what does having that record do for them? Marketing. I don't know. Because they can sell their <laughs> 100 cars for quite a, a bit. How much do they cost? Amounts of, it doesn't even say. <laughs> I don't. It's, it's one of those things where you don't contact the company to buy a car. They contact people to sell cars. Well, well they haven't contacted me. Yeah. Um, so the <laughs> previous record that they broke was held by their last car that they built in 2007. Hmm. Um, and I think the 331 miles per hour also now holds the record for highest speed on a public road. <laughs> was the road designed to have that fast of cars on it? Mm, no. <laughs> I watched the... Uh, in onboard camera like the oh yeah helmet mounted and there was one mounted like the passenger seat and it didn't seem like it was he was going that fast huh. probably because um, the road was so straight yeah it's just dead straight and Nevada is uh, so boring <laughs> yes it's a hypercar so SSC was... was formerly Shelby supercars Oh, operated. Uh, had read that. Um, I think they, that's what it stands for. There wasn't tires rated for that high of <laughs> speeds, so, so it just they, went on the rims. Oh, <laughs> well, they. I think there were. I don't remember. I'm just looking at a different article than I read previously about it. But the, I think it, they were Pirellis, maybe, but they or Michelins, but they probably Michelin. I think is U.S. Um, but they did some testing and they were pretty confident they would 
hold up. Not blow out. Speed. <laughs> yeah. According to Car and Driver, it's one point nine million dollars. Oh, that's it. Yeah, I think we should each get one. <laughs> With our I was thinking it would be the Ingenuity so. Show company car. <laughs> Uh, think how fast I could get come visit you yeah it'd be like less than an hour I don't know have you seen traffic between here and there I figure going that fast just throw (laughs) some wings on the sides right that's faster than a lot of airplanes yeah I was gonna say that earlier like (laughs) some small planes can't even go that fast But yeah, crazy. Was, it's and it, I don't know. All of those hypercars, a lot of them, they kind of all just look the same. Yeah, they do. But it's, I guess, you have to reach some level of aerodynamic efficiency to go that <laughs> fast. So I think it had something like uh, seventeen hundred horsepower engine. Whoa, that's a lot. Yeah. I think the Bugattis have like twelve hundred. So, <laughs> but they're quite a bit slower. <laughs> Yeah, and I think my motorcycle has like 40-something, if oh. that. Yeah, a guy, I parked in the parking lot this morning at work, and this guy was standing at his bike a few slots down, and he goes, have you ever taken that on the highway? And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh. <laughs> what do you think I got here? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, I had a... a 300 once and i could barely get it up to 60 i was like well i've then you should lose some weight this thing does oh. 75 pretty easy <laughs> you know and he's like well it must be really chuffing at that speed i was like well a, a headwind is a problem but <laughs> it you know it does like it doesn't have attack, so i can't five. tell if it's redlined or not well it has oh. little it has red lines for each gear written around the speedometer oh and I was looking later when I was on my way home and the red line for fourth gear is like 65 or something. So it's made oh. to go. It's got five gears. So it's aerodynamically limited. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, at that speed, your power is not great. But um, he was like, yeah, my bike's a six speed, but I can only get like eight miles per hour per gear. This was like weird. Oh. I was like, I've ridden this to Portland and back before and it did fine. He was like, Oh man, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you need to get a Honda. Cause yeah, you're riding is crap. He's like, I missed my seven fifty. It could actually go on the highway. <laughs> like, yeah. Wow, dude. <laughs> Sounds like there's some consumption. I I do have a bit of consumption. All right, let's hear it. So I watched The Dark Knight. 
the uh, second Christian Bale Batman movie. Mm-hmm. With the Joker. Yep. It had been a while since I'd seen it, and I remembered specific scenes from them, but I couldn't remember what order they were in. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty good. Now, you, now you've got them sorted out. Yep, now it makes all makes sense mm-hmm. in my mind. And then I watched a movie that has Bruce Willis in it and mm-hmm. Brad Pitt. Yeah. Called Twelve Monkeys. Oh yeah. Nineteen ninety-five. Time travel movie. Yep, and it was directed by uh, Terry Gilliam. Oh. Of the. Uh, I didn't know that. The Monty Python. Uh-huh. He's the American in the group. Um. So I could actually watching it. I was like, yep, this is a Terry Gilliam movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, cause he had made like 10 years before this, he had made a movie called Brazil. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but no, heard it was about it. kind of an odd movie, <laughs> but you know, a kind of a dystopia future in that one. But <laughs> yeah, so this, you know, starts off you're in the future and it's there's been some huge virus that has killed like five billion people and everyone that's left is forced to live underground and um when there's a scene where bruce willis is getting all suited up to go out of the uh you know to above ground the year and 2020 <laughs> well it was the virus in the movie started in 1996 but oh. <laughs> yeah with all the stuff he's putting on I'm like wow imagine if we had to dress like that to go outside in 2020 <laughs> yeah people complain about masks <laughs> well this one he yeah he's got this like helmet that's all transparent and it's like he they had to like spray him down and then they scrubbed him once he came back inside like cool. with like a big elephant scrubbing brush, it looked like, and <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, it's um, the ending's a little ambiguous, but I guess <laughs> he meant it for be for it to be that way. Um, I I'd, I'd seen the Twelve Monkeys TV series that came out just a, I don't know, like five or so years ago. <laughs> um, there How were, was that? Because I. I yeah, I like that that series. I actually enjoyed it. It uh, it was a little bit different than the movie, but <laughs> there's some interesting time travel stuff that happens. And uh, Brad Pitt plays, plays this insane guy, and uh, he does a pretty good job at it. At it, yeah, so. yeah, <laughs> definitely a good performance there. Have you guys seen the movie then? Yeah, yeah, I've seen the movie. Okay. Yeah, so you know how kind of strange it was, but yeah. Anyway, that's mine. All right, I got through a book called Self Made. It was actually an audio book. Um, it takes place like in the future where most people spend majority of their time like in this kind of VR world. And uh, there's this guy that, as a side gig, he's a detective, and he gets hired to 
solve the crime of the murder of this other person's online avatar. And so it's him doing these investigations. And it seemed like the point of the book was just to kind of explore these technologies and relationships it creates more than solving the murder. Because in the end, the murderer was just somebody that you could have never predicted and that was barely mentioned. And then, you know, the detective all of a sudden figures it out at the end and with no foreshadowing at all. Um, But, you know, it was interesting. So and it's a whole series. So if you um, like the world is set up, there's several more books with the main character that you can follow up on. Uh, We watched the Shyamalan movie Glass, finally. Bruce Willis. Last movie in the, yeah, the, the Unbreakable trilogy. Right. If you call it that. I don't know. Because the first two movies are pretty much unrelated. And then the third movie ties them together. Yeah. But it's Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson, James McAvoy. And they all have, I guess you would call them superpowers. Although Glass's superpower is just... Glass is Samuel L. Jackson's character, and his ability is just to plan really well. <laughs> he has quite a weakness, though, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, they're all three being held in a mental hospital by a woman that's trying to convince them that they don't really have superpowers. It's all in their heads. Oh, just like them trying to convince Bruce Willis that he didn't really travel in time. <laughs> yeah. In the movie I watched. So it was really good. I liked it. I mean, we re- we watched Split just before, which is the second movie, just that, you know, goes through the James Mack voice character, the Beast, or the Horde. So James McAvoy has dissociative identity disorder and he has all these different personalities and they they're trying to bring in the the beast, which is like this superhuman entity that takes over the body and Yeah. So in the third one they're all together and Yeah, it was really good. I liked it. Were you able to get the uh split somewhere streaming or did you rent it? Uh we bought it back the first time we watched it. Okay. So we own it on Amazon. Have been wanting to watch Glass, but I haven't seen Split and Well, when you're here next month, I will watch them with you. Okay. If we have time. Uh I watched a horror movie being October called The Curse of La Llorona. And it's about so in the seventeen hundreds this Mexican woman finds out her husband is cheating on her and she drowns their children. And then horrified by what she's done, she kills herself. And now in the present, she is haunting other people's children to drown them. And it's about this woman, single mother. She has two kids and she's a social worker and she these two kids that she's responsible for have stopped coming to school. So she goes to their apartment 
and the mom has them locked in the closet and she's like says don't open the door don't that she'll get them and of course they're like you're crazy i don't know what you're talking about so she gets the kids out while la Llorona gets the kids and then the mother of the dead kids praised to La Llorona to go after the social workers' kids and give her her kids back, which I don't know how the logistics on that since mm. they were dead. But um, so the, the majority of the movie is La Llorona coming after this social worker lady's kids. And it's pretty, pretty scary. Mm. Uh, I finally watched Castaway with Tom Hanks. You hadn't seen it before? No, because it's in my mind. It was always like, oh, okay, it's really long. It's probably pretty slow. I've just <laughs> never been in the mood for it when it came up. And it's probably not as good as Joe versus the volcano. Yeah. So <laughs> one night we were just like, "What do you? What are we gonna watch?" I was like, "Well, we're gonna watch Castaway." And so I watched it with MJ and my daughter, and. MJ and I both had in our heads that he ends up stranded on this island due to a boat accident. Mm. Mm. Which, so the whole beginning part of the movie, we were like, how does he get on a boat? Because he (laughs) works for FedEx. And it starts off, he's in Russia. He's like this guy they send out to FedEx hubs that are problems. And he whips them into shape. And then goes to the next one, you know. And uh, then on Thanksgiving, um, he gets called out to fly somewhere. And we're like, okay, this is obviously where the plane's going to crash. And the plane crash was so intense that my daughter was like, I can't watch this anymore. Oh, wow. We made her watch it. It was really (laughs) intense. But uh, the movie was awesome. I wish I had seen it sooner. It was just one of those you like everybody talks about and, you know, there's Wilson and, you know, some dental thing with a ice skate happens. But uh, it was really good. I enjoyed it immensely. You haven't seen it since, you know, around the time it came out. Maybe I should watch it again. I don't really remember much about it. Yeah. Of course, I always have to see a movie twice before I really remember what happens <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. More than, you know, a week. <laughs> I watched The Signal. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so it was it was interesting. <laughs> it's these three college-age kids. They're two guys, and they're driving the one guy's girlfriend across the country from MIT to Caltech or Cal Poly or somewhere in California and, but there's this hacker, they're all into computers and there's this hacker that's been messing with them and he messes with them while they're on the road. Like they're at the hotel online and get messages from him. And so they, the two guys like hack and figure out his IP address and find out, Oh, he's out in this, in Nevada and it's barely out of their way. And so they go to find this hacker named nomad and they get out there and it's just like this abandoned house. And then 
some crazy stuff happens and they wake up in this crazy place and the people are talking about aliens and it's really weird from then on. Uh, it's on Netflix. It was it was pretty interesting and entertaining. Yeah. It was kind of weird. It was definitely one you wanted to watch to the end to see what happens. Yeah, like, what's going on? <laughs> it seems fairly normal and everything's like, okay, this could happen. And then things start just going off the rails. And you're just like, okay, nothing is what it seemed. <laughs> so, yeah, it's got uh, Lawrence Fishburne. He's he's really good in it. He's yeah. like the main guy they deal with after they wake up from their experience. I kept wondering, did the peop- did the, te- the college students take the red pill or the blue pill? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I watched another horror movie called The Bye Bye Man. It wasn't as scary. Um, it's basically if you say the name the bye-bye man then he has the power to basically make you see crazy stuff (laughs) trying to get you to either kill someone else or kill yourself or something and the only way to stop him is to basically for everyone that knows the name to die but You have to like, so it's like if you accidentally find out about him and tell a bunch of people and then figure out, oh, crap, everybody that knows about him is going to die or kill people. Then you have to go kill all of those people that found out about him, right? Uh, That seems like a stretch. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's different people approach it in different ways and that's the way that some people approach it is Mm. I have to stop this malevolent being and so I'm going to kill everyone that knows about it and then off myself but the name keeps getting out (laughs) yeah so not as scary as I was hoping but it was interesting it had some scary parts but uh, definitely not as scary as La Llorona. And finally, we've watched season three of Alone. And this is one where there ten people are dropped off in Patagonia and they have to survive alone. And they have, you know, they have no idea how many other people are still going. They have the opportunity to leave at any time, but the the final person out there wins $500,000 and being season three, they'd all seen the first two seasons. And so it seemed like they were people that were more capable maybe than season one and had plans and stuff. And it was really good. Uh, The first guy left on day three, but um, I think the last guy was there till like day 90 something maybe or it was really or maybe it was only 80 something 80 something because it i think it was slightly less than 
three months, but yeah, some people survive some crazy stuff that it's like, yeah, if that had happened to me, I would have tapped out. Like this one lady gets bit three times by this really venomous spider and she almost tapped out. She's like, I'll just see, you know, she made like some antibiotic poultice out of some plant because she was an herbalist. And she was like, it's spread to my lymph nodes. I'm definitely (laughs) infected. And she's like, I'm going to sleep one more night and see how I feel tomorrow. And she was like, oh, I don't feel worse. So I guess I'll stay. And then she got over it. It was like she beat this spider. I was like, man, I'd be tearing my shack apart trying to get the spider out of there. (laughs) Uh, I think that season had my I liked the people the most like there were yeah. so many people that I were was rooting I was, for that's the thing is like who do I root for because all these people are cool people they have their goal is to use this money to help their family or you know so it was it was good nice. all the way through that's my consumption cool I think I only watched one movie uh, this last week, which Slacker. was Terminator Dark Fate. Oh, which I when I turned it on, I definitely thought it was the previous one, I think. Oh, the Terminator Genesis, because but oh. it started and I was like, I don't remember this. And then I was like, who are these people? And uh, <laughs> I quickly realized that I by, you know, halfway through. I was like, yeah, I've never seen this. I was thinking like, oh, maybe I watched it on a plane or something where I wasn't, you know, a tiny little screen or something yeah. on my phone. And, um, But it was good. It was uh, kind of a retelling of Terminator. So it basically um, Sarah Connor successfully prevents I think it basically skips anything that any of the Terminators that happened after the second one Mm. so Judgment Day never happens so yeah Judgment Day never happens and um, Sarah Connor is you know survives and then Mm. basically Mm. a different AI takes over in a different future and mm. where someone else is the key person. Oh, interesting. And so um it kind of is a T2 style cuz there's a good person and a bad person both come back. Uh to one to help and one to kill the key person. Um and then the you know, it's like the bad guys way more powerful. So, right. It's like the good, the good Total person underdog. they send back is uh, Mackenzie Davis, who I think I only know her from. She was Mindy Park in The Martian. She's like the NASA person that hmm. finds kind of nerdy NASA analyst or technician, whatever. I don't know. I recognized okay. her. Um, but she is like a modified human 
Oh, so she has got she's got tech to make her stronger and more resilient. Oh, cool. Um, and then the Rev Nine is the model type for the bad guy that comes back, and he's basically a cross between Arnold and the T one thousand or whatever from T two. Mm. So mm-hmm. it's like a hardened exoskeleton or inner into inner skeleton. It's like a skeleton, but then the outside can form shape shift liquid metal thing. That's cool. So he at multiple times throughout the movie splits to where he has basically two people fighting for him. He's got oh. his liquidy bits that can kind of get blown up and takes time to recoalesce and then the the skeleton part that's really hardy but slower and stuff um so linda hamilton is in it as sarah connor and she does have a a role in the movie because she's getting information sent to her from some unknown person about Terminators coming back. So she had killed several Terminators that had come back in time from between when she prevented Judgment Day and the current. And then Arnold does does make an appearance as a old T-800 model that had been laying around (laughs) that had been on Earth or in our timeline, I guess, since back in the day. So. It was good. Um, cool. It's like yeah, I don't think I've of, seen that one. Ton of action. It's like what you would think. It's just kind of silly, almost at some points of how many. Like everyone is so invincible that you don't know how they are going to possibly win. Mm-hmm. But they do. As you'd expect. It's... <laughs> Spoiler. But it always leaves it open because it's, you know, the right. whole point of Terminator is that they just can try again. It, yeah, it's, well, it's almost like or the it's, future's inevitable. Right, like it, I don't know, that's the only, the main plot hole is that they came back to kill you to prevent you stopping them, but if they don't kill you, then you, they still take over. But because it's it's not like they, it's almost, it doesn't ever seem like the humans are winning in the future. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think in the first one, the point was that the humans were, were making ground or were turning the tide. And as a last ditch to save, or to stop the humans that's when they sent Arnold back. Okay. Yeah. I have always been a little hazy on what's going on there, but uh, yeah, it was good. And then the, there was a couple other actors and actresses in it that it takes place. Mm, the first half probably takes place in Mexico city. Mm. Um, but so there's a couple, and I didn't know them, um, some actors, but they were good. 
Cool. A darker garden, this is beauty. In the land of the rain. All right. Does anybody want to share their nerd cred? Um, mine's just that uh, I listened to a couple of my short stories that had audio for them on my mm-hmm. trip. One of them was episode 202, I think, of this show. Oh. Where St. Jimmy read The Artifact. How was it? Uh, I also got chills and when Ooh. I listened to that one, even though I knew how it ended. but Oh, my. <laughs> So that's one that takes place on series in the future, and it's about mm-hmm. a guy that finds something while he's working. An artifact, perchance? Yes, and it bestows certain powers, but also um, unlocks things that should not have been unlocked. Oh, Let's boy. Just put it that way. Like an artifact. So, <laughs> yeah. So, years ago, I got my wife as a gift a remote start kit for her pickup. And the first thing that I needed to do to progress installing it was in Ford, you have to have two unique key chips keys with chips in order to program the remote starter bypass because if you just got a key and had it cut to fit the ignition it won't start the truck it has to have a chip in it that communicates with the computer and so to remote start it it has to bypass that or it has to you program the remote starter with that as basically a third key but you have to have two keys to do it oh because it probably has stricter requirements for the first two factory keys well so yeah and doing like an accessory key in order to get a key made for your truck you have to go through the dealership to get a unique key made you can get dupes made but once you have two unique ones which if you bought the truck new, you would get, you can program additional keys as long as they have chips. Interesting. So we figured out that the two keys we had for the truck were, one was a duplicate of the other, so you couldn't use them to program a third key, which meant also that I couldn't install the remote start until... We got a new key made by the dealership, which it took me three years probably <laughs> to get that done, which was just make an appointment, drop the truck off for a couple hours, and then pay like 200 some bucks. And then we had, you know, and then we could make as many keys as we wanted or however many the truck will let you make. 
So then it was like, okay, now we can do this remote starter thing. Well, then we were having problems with the starter where like probably every fourth or fifth time you'd go to start it, it would just make this grinding sound like the, the drive on the starter was hitting the right was spinning before it hit the drive or the flex plate. And so I was like, well, I don't want a remote starter on there if it's doing that. Cause <laughs> yeah, it could be out in the driveway doing that and you wouldn't know. Um, <laughs> so finally, after having it be like that for probably close to a year, I put a new starter in it and that fixed that problem. And so I got the kit out and I, open it up and I was like, you know what? I can afford to pay somebody to do this. <laughs> I was like, I'll just I'll just make an appointment, take it in somewhere and have them do it. Well then COVID hit. And I was like, oh. well, can't do that. So finally I just was like, you know what? I'm just gonna do this. So last weekend I got it all out, you know, took the the dash under the steering wheel apart took the cover off the steering column off and started wiring stuff up. Once I actually got into it, it was actually fairly easy to do. Um, got all, found all the wires. I have a book that has all the Ford official wiring diagrams and shows you what each wire and each connector is and what colors they all are and everything. It's awesome. And got it all wired up. And it just said, do this part just to make sure it's working. And you don't even program the key yet. You just put one of your keys in and hit the start button. And this is just hooking up the minimum amount and just to make sure it works. And I did that and it didn't work. Uh Oh, I'm like, crap. So I was like, well, maybe I need to just hook the rest of it up because the next one of the last things you do is hook up the door locks so that the fob can lock and unlock the doors. I was like, well, at least then I'll know if the fob is an antenna and everything are working. So I hooked up that, and it still didn't work. I'm like, ah, what the heck? So I kind of gave up, put it back together enough that we could drive and just shove the wires out of the way and stuff. And uh, I had the the two fobs and when you push the button it's got like these little LEDs that light up and a blue and a red one were both lighting up kind of dimly and I was like I read somewhere that it has you can set it to work on two different vehicles and there's a button to switch between vehicles and I guess on one when you push it the blue LED comes on and you switch to the red and then it works on the second vehicle. Hmm. So like maybe it's just confused and it, I need to like figure out how to program it for vehicle one or whatever. So I was watching some videos and none of them really helped. And finally there was one that was just like how to change from vehicle one to vehicle two and change the batteries in the fob. I was like, all right, I'll watch this one. And it said one of the first things like, if your battery's dead in your fob, rather than one, either the blue or red lighting up, both will light up. I'm like, this thing's been sitting in the garage for years, and it's <laughs> doing that. I bet the the batteries in the fobs are just dead. So I, you know, get on Amazon, order some new 
you know, their watch batteries, basically. But, you know, who has those around? Well, they came today. And I put them in the remotes. And the freaking thing works like a charm, baby. Awesome. Awesome. So we have remote start. And I wish I'd done it years ago because it (laughs) really wasn't that hard. So, yeah. Now MJ will just have to remember to leave, like, the heater in the on position. Right. Yeah, because it's coming on winter. So she's really looking forward to being able to start the truck. And the truck's loud enough now that you can tell whether it started or not from in the house. (laughs) So. Yeah. I've I've wanted to get one of those for my truck for some time. Well, I'll help you install it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if I would... I don't drive the truck regularly anymore, so I don't know if it would really be that useful. That useful, yeah. Well, that's MJ's primary vehicle, and so she's going to be very pleased, especially like we're planning on going home for Thanksgiving and Christmas this year, and it's going to be cold down there, so it's going to be nice down there where it actually gets below freezing during the winter to have the the truck warm itself up cool i don't think i have any nerd cred i've had a pretty boring week (laughs) okay well we got a uh, comment on facebook what from rob hancock so i'll just read it he says happy quarter centenary engine nerds because it was our 400th episode and he likes to use big words. <laughs> um, and he said he would like us to get the Amazon link back on the site and he would use oh. it to buy your novels. Awesome. And once I get the link, I can actually change the links to your novels on there to go through our um, thing, affiliate our page. affiliate page, so that even if they don't click the link on the homepage menu and then search your book. If they just go to the novels tab and click the novel to get there and it will go through our affiliate. So I'll have to work on that this week or this weekend and uh, get that up and running. But I did want to give this caveat for the Amazon thing. Mm -hmm. People that are related to us are not allowed to use it. Amazon yeah, does, like, does not like that. Time. And even if you have lived with us in the same address. So LFG, you cannot. LFG we, can't use it. Nobody that currently or has ever had our same last name. <laughs> I think distant relatives like second cousins are probably okay. Because I don't think they're going to like go do our genealogy. Because I know we have some second cousins that have different last name from us that listen. Um, It's probably safe for them. And, you know, acquaintances that haven't ever lived with us, definitely (laughs) safe. But um, the thing is, if it doesn't get used in the first month, they just cancel it. So once I get it up, probably around the time this episode comes out, somebody needs to use the U.S. link and the UK link within the first month. But it's also like Christmas shopping season, so 
just uh, it's easy. Just go to the ingenuityshow.com, click the Amazon link for the US or the UK, depending on where you live. And uh, once it brings you to Amazon, just make it your bookmark for Amazon and just use that bookmark and it will remember that that's our affiliate link. And what it does is it helps us pay for things like our website we have to pay for every year that helps with that. And I'm probably going to figure out how to sign up for the premium on our pod hosting so we can get rid of annoying ads, which I We'll hopefully figure that out this weekend. That's the easiest thing for me. If it's not super expensive, I'll just pay for the premium to get rid of the ads, and then I don't have to change my how I upload or try to figure out how to move the RSS to a new host or all that. So I appreciate if anybody can support us by either using the Amazon link or buying a T-shirt. Uh, the T-shirt sales... Um, pretty much paid for this current year of our website so i that normally comes out of my pocket so that's pretty sweet that people uh, supported us doing that and yeah we're planning on keeping doing this so uh yeah um anything else uh... last words I may be on the show next week or may have to miss. Okay. I will be in Colorado. Okay. Hey, you know, your friends can come on as guests. We could talk about something they're interested in for your segment. Okay. I'll try to sell it. <laughs> no, if or you get the Amazon just... link up, I'll make them buy something through it. Okay. I'll work if, on that this weekend. Or if one of our listeners wants to, uh, you know, be a guest on our show. Oh, yeah. Just shoot us an email. We're we'll still in talks with. Yeah, we're still in talks with Neil and Brad. And, you know, there's ways to do this. Yeah, we can set just record a phone call and then add it into the show. Yeah, because we have, we did that this week. So, yeah, we have the technology. Yep. <laughs> or you know people could just record something and email it to us Ooh, at engineeryshow at gmail.com you can also f- hit us up on facebook or twitter that's where you would contact us or through the email if you want to be on the show as a guest um also check out our website theengineeryshow.com for amazon links and t-shirts and novels Thank you for listening this week. Stay nerdy. Live long and nerdy. Bye. You know, Mizzo, you can't just say bizarre. You never get a moment for free. Show me something fun on your guitar. Something with an A or a G. Just be sure that I can tell it. Just be sure that I can tell it. Most guitars are made of trees With some metal for the strings And some frets and tuny things Most guitars are made of trees Most guitars are made of trees People play them while they sing Some are dull and some just ring Most guitars are made of trees
as though you've seen it all before. Looking at me stuck in a tree to hold a thought you can't ignore. Something multiplied by a three. Just be sure that I can tell it. Just be sure that I can tell it again. Excuse me. You're being recorded. Oh, good. I'm glad you started that after I belched. <laughs> Most guitars are made of trees with some L for the strings and some frets and two neat things. Most guitars are made of trees. Most guitars are made of trees. People play them while they sing. Some are dull and some just ring. Most guitars are made of trees. Most guitars are made of trees. The song Most Guitars Are Made of Trees is by Greg Gibbs.